So I would lie awake at night and the literature would reverberate through my mind as a reminder that people had been here before and had experienced these things. The United States lost more lives in the 1918 pandemic than in all the wars of the 20th and 21st century combined. But the most influential history textbooks include nothing more than a sentence or footnote on the subject. What caused our nation to forget an event that upended and shattered the lives of countless Americans? Where did all of the collective grief and anguish go? I'm Margot Gray. On this episode of Lost Prologue, we'll explore why America neglected to memorialize the 1918 pandemic and the grim consequences of this historical amnesia. In the decades after 1918, astoundingly few memoirs, novels, or accounts emerged about the Spanish flu. Remarkably, it wasn't until 1976 that historian Alfred Crosby published a comprehensive history of the pandemic. His book, Epidemic and Peace, received little attention until the outbreak of the AIDS epidemic more than a decade later, when Crosby reissued the novel under a new title, America's Forgotten Pandemic. He writes, Nothing else, no infection, no war, no famine, has ever killed so many in as short a period. And yet it has never inspired awe. Not in 1918 and not since, not among the citizens of any particular land, and not among the citizens of the United States. Why did the pandemic never inspire awe? Newspaper coverage did little to spotlight the story of the Spanish flu. While publications chronicled every detail of World War I, they neglected to acknowledge the human toll of the virus. The Boston papers were moderately unique in periodically putting the story on page one, but it was always with the best spin. That's Dr. Walter Shapiro, a writer at the New Republic and lecturer in political science at Yale University. In March of 2020, with coronavirus cases spiking in the U.S., Dr. Shapiro looked back at how the press had handled the pandemic of 1918. He focused on newspaper coverage from three major cities, Philadelphia, Boston, and New York, places that had been particularly hard hit and were home to some of the country's leading publications. To Shapiro's surprise, he found very few front-page stories on influenza, during the period from September through November of 1918. In Sherlock Holmes' terms, it was the dog that didn't bark. And I kept looking and looking and looking and looking. And I would find one-column stories on page 24 of the New York Times. After one read about society weddings, the cotton markets, and went through pages of classifieds. While every publication in the country was sounding the drum on behalf of selling war bonds, few dedicated real estate to the disease that was decimating the home front. Why? 
press censorship, both overt and implied, was higher during World War I than at any subsequent time in America, and that there was a general sense on the part of the press that it would undermine morale and the war effort to make too much of the fact that corpses were littering in the streets, the hospitals were overrun. As hundreds of thousands of Americans died from influenza, newspapers relegated the story of the pandemic to their margins and back pages. The lack of newspaper coverage wasn't the only reason for the silencing of the pandemic. Scholars suggest that the outbreak of influenza was likely viewed as a side effect of World War I, rather than a devastating event in its own right. Which makes sense given that the ravages of disease had historically accompanied war. Others hypothesize that the pandemic was simply the wrong story for Americans at that historical moment. The notion of American exceptionalism was served far better by World War I than by the Spanish flu, which had ravaged the country and undermined confidence in the promise of American medicine and political leadership. It was far easier to find meaning in the horrors of war than in the horrors of the pandemic. While a war death could be structured around the idea of sacrifice and heroism, there was no way to frame influenza deaths as noble, and therefore nothing on which people could hang their grief. So, as the narrative of the Great War crystallized in the American consciousness, the story of the pandemic faded into obscurity. Of course, it's important to recognize that while the pandemic was forgotten on a public level, it remained salient in the lives of individuals and families. Memory of the flu endured for survivors who suffered long-term damage to their lungs and heart, for children who grew up without parents, and for those who simply could not shake the image of dead bodies crowding city streets. The power of those private memories are captured in the letters collected by researcher Richard Collier, in the 1970s, Collier realized that flu victims were dying off, so he took out advertisements in major newspapers around the world and asked survivors to write him letters about their experience in 1918. The thousands of testimonies that poured in make clear that people never forgot the dreadful sights and sounds of the pandemic. Fifty years later, Many described the stomach-lurching trigger of hearing the sound of church bells. In 1918, the tolling of bells marked yet another person lost to the flu. If you look closely enough, the footprints of psychological trauma inflicted by the pandemic can also be found in many of the great works of 20th century literature. It just takes some investigating. Dr. Elizabeth Outka is a professor of English at the University of Richmond and the author of Viral Modernism, the Influenza Pandemic and Interwar Literature. Outka spent most of her career writing and teaching about modernism without having heard about the 1918 pandemic. So when I started to learn more about the history of the pandemic, 
I wanted to know where all of that anguish went and why it was seemingly so absent from the literature and also from the scholarship on modernism. And then she really began digging deeper. Once I did, it started showing up everywhere, even in literature that I had been teaching for years. Outka had long viewed World War I as the defining trauma of Virginia Woolf's novel, Mrs. Dalloway. But upon re-examining it, she was struck by the vivid descriptions of Clarissa Dalloway's ongoing struggle with influenza, how, five years after the pandemic, she still faces acute damage to her heart and cannot escape the memory of the bells ringing. So it really shifted both the way I teach the novel and also the way I write about it in that suddenly it emerges as a novel about two survivors and two tragedies, one sort of covert and still ongoing in Clarissa's body and one much more public. In fact, her novel is really structured around the two tragedies of the early 20th century, the two mass death events, right, the pandemic and World War I. Outka has also found marks of the pandemic in other great works of modernism, like T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. She explained that T.S. Eliot and his wife both caught the flu in December of 1918. Scholars have spent a lot of time talking about how it's a kind of war landscape. You know, you have this dead man's alley, these trenches or, or no man's land, and, and all of these rats that seem to be everywhere. It certainly does speak to the war in, in all of these different ways. But of course, rats also speak really profoundly to pandemics, kind of um, enduring symbol of widespread disease. And all of these dead bodies, right, everywhere, these insecurely dead bodies everywhere in that poem, buried in the backyard. And it's one of the haunting things about the war, but also about the pandemic, is there was just no way to bury all of these bodies. You have 110 million corpses after the war and the flu, and like, what do you do with them? Another literary giant, W.B. Yeats, almost lost his pregnant wife to the Spanish flu. In fact, he composed his most famous poem, The Second Coming, in the days after her near-death experience. Against this backdrop, specific imagery in the poem takes on new meaning, Outka explains. The phrase, blood-dimmed tide, evokes images of flu victims bleeding from the nose and mouth. And the phrase, the ceremony of innocence being drowned, conjures up images of victims who drowned in their own fluid-filled lungs. To be clear, Outka is not arguing that all modernist literature is secretly about the flu, but rather that there's a context of disease that we have not been trained to look for when studying works of the early 20th century just as we have not been trained to consider the context of the Spanish flu when studying the history of the United States. Historical memory is complicated, since societies reconstruct rather than diligently record their pasts. In the United States, we tend to embrace narratives that bolster our sense of identity as a land of progress, promise, and prosperity. 
And while America should certainly revel in all that the country has achieved, we must be wary of our propensity to overlook the more painful and problematic aspects of our history. As Dr. Nancy Bristow of the University of Puget Sound writes in American Pandemic, it is precisely Americans' repeated tendency to rewrite their past in order to make it more tolerable, their continued willingness to embrace a single set of memories, to accept what is inevitably a sanitized and upbeat version of their country's history that makes this phenomenon both important and troubling. It's therefore not all that surprising that when the catastrophes of war and disease finally came to a close, there remained a reluctance to reflect on the toll of the 1918 pandemic. To do so would have required that President Wilson take accountability for his lack of transparency, federal guidance, and moral leadership. That local governments assume responsibility for prioritizing war bonds over the safety of their citizens, and that medical professionals acknowledge the deficiencies and failures of their practice. So the focus remained on the war. Americans crowded city streets to welcome troops home from Europe. Monuments were built to honor soldiers who had died in combat. And political officials spoke of a bright and promising future for the country. In the same way that the flu had stealthily killed hundreds of thousands of Americans, it quietly slipped from the American consciousness, becoming a prologue that was lost for generations. World War I would continue to play a prominent role in U.S. politics over the next few decades, but the influenza pandemic would silently drift away, only to reemerge more than a hundred years later as the country was violently awoken to another deadly pandemic.